Hello and welcome to a new season of Interesting India. Geopolitical realignments, sustainable growth, healthcare financing, inclusive digital transformations, climate change, supply chain disruptions, urbanization and several other critical global matters envelop the world as India holds the G20 presidency. We at Carnegie India continue to bring voices from India and around the world to examine the role of technology, the economy and international security in shaping India's future. I'm your host Suresh Rai and this week I'm joined by Abhishek Anand and Naveen Joseph Thomas to discuss their recent working paper on the man-made clothing sector in India. Abhishek Anand is a consultant with PwC Middle East. Earlier he has worked at the World Bank as a Robert McNamara fellow and prior to that he was a career civil servant with the government of India. His research interest lies at the intersection of macroeconomics and economic development. Naveen Joseph Thomas is an assistant professor at the Jindal School of Government and Public Policy where he's also the assistant dean for online programs and international collaborations. His research interests lie in the areas of household economics, growth theory, labor economics and issues of the manufacturing sector. A major puzzle for the Indian economy in the last one decade has been the weak performance in the textiles and apparel sectors. In real terms, the apparel sector has grown marginally and the textile sector has witnessed a decline. India's share in world trade in textile and apparel has also declined considerably. Between the late 1990s and the early 2010s, India's share in the world trade in these sectors had doubled as the Indian economy revealed its comparative advantage in a variety of products in these categories. But since then, India's share in textile trade has declined even as many other countries have have increased their shares. The causes for this sudden reversal in a crucial sector are worth understanding. In a recent paper, Abhishek uh, and Naveen offer an analytical explanation for, of this phenomenon, uh, focusing primarily on certain policy choices that have been made by the union government. Abhishek and Naveen, welcome to Interpreting India. Thank you, Suresh. Thanks, thanks a lot, Suresh. Thanks for having me uh, for this podcast. I'm very delighted that you know you, you took notice of our paper and we are here to discuss it in detail with you. Thanks. It's a very important paper and I'm glad you wrote it. And I want to use this opportunity of the podcast to help our audience understand the arguments in the paper and the broader implications of those arguments. <laughs> so let me start with you, Naveen. Uh, since many of our audience are not experts in the textile and apparel sectors, if you could please start by explaining the basic uh, structure of the value chain in these sectors, which you do in the paper <laughs> in terms of what are the key activities that go into uh, producing the final products in these sectors. Right. So, um, broadly speaking, uh, a textile can be uh, uh, can be segregated into or categorized as uh, synthetic or uh, natural fiber based. And for natural fiber based, India has had a very very long tradition of uh, being a cotton producer. And this this dominance is ancient, and uh, that gave us a fairly strong footing. Uh, in cotton raw material uh, as well as uh, clothing trade uh, all through uh, the centuries till uh, till about the time the, uh, uh, the the british colonial powers came into india we were the leading light there in terms of uh, raw material as well as the fineness and the quality of the material that was uh, produced here and all of that was done in a fairly uh, decentralized manner it, wasn't done in factories, but it was typically done uh, by farmers who had weaving as uh, an add-on source of income. So this was probably one of those uh, great things about the way uh, textile manufacturing in India was organized. 
But then there is this whole story of what happened during the uh, the British Raj period, at least the first hundred years of that, where India was reduced to just a raw material exporter. And that is what they typically did with all the colonies. And the history of uh, their policies is, um, is pretty rich uh, in terms of these examples where they use protection, especially trade protection, to sort of push the colonies to the periphery with them at the core of manufacturing. And that's essentially their industrialization story. Nothing about free trade that they promote right now uh, is um, part of the story of neither the, um, the United Kingdom nor uh, the US in where they have uh, reached, but was the mid-1850s. Slight shift, uh, the East India Company withdrew and, um, well, uh, with uh, a relatively more peaceful period, we saw um, government support in terms of the British government supporting Indian manufacturing by providing uh, more advanced machineries. And you see a whole uh, number of uh, new factories uh, and mills being set up post the nineteen, post the mid eighteen fifties, and that sort of helped us come back into the picture into textiles. And at the time of independence, we were fairly well placed. But this is all natural fiber and all of which we have an advantage. We have a comparative advantage because we are a fairly large producer. right? And that has always been the source of our advantage. But the the entire landscape of textiles started changing in the 1950s with um, polyester coming into the market. Those were initial years and more commercial production would only happen by the mid-60s. But polyester production really, really took up very quickly. And uh, by the 1990s, we see a reversal in the world markets where the world markets shift towards polyester as uh, polyester and uh, man-made or synthetic fibers as the predominant uh, fiber base for clothing. Uh, and um, cotton just takes a back step post the 1990s, early 1990s. But India on that is an outlier. And for that matter, even Bangladesh for that matter is an outlier where our dominance is still in cotton textiles. And that poses a problem. We might have a very rich domestic market. Um, and there might be demand from uh, the rest of the world, but not as much. One has to realize that uh, we have to be aligned with um, the requirements of the global markets to be able to gain traction there. And uh, that sort of shifted towards man-made, and we even now are still cotton-based, and that um, that puts our producers at a, at a back foot. Um, and in terms of uh, the value chain, you would typically think of the first as um, the first step as staple fibers. And uh, if it's cotton, then you have uh, the production of cotton, cotton ginning, and then you get the staple fiber and then it's spun. And then you have weaving, processing, um, and then it goes into the apparel sector. So that's for cotton and uh, for man-made fibers, typically if you're talking about um, of polyester, which is the dominant man-made fiber, you start with petrochemicals. It start, the process starts with xylene. That is the first petrochemical hydrocarbon intermediate. 
then you have uh, the uh, purified terephthalic acid and uh, monoethylene glycol, and these are combined uh, to produce polyester staple fiber or polyester uh, yarn, which is uh, filament yarn. The, you get very very long filaments. So these are the first steps in the production of polyester, and then they are spun or they are combined with other um, natural fibers. And that's one of the great things about polyester. It can be combined with other natural fibers to give you um, a yarn of various uh, qualities. And uh, for I mean, it can suit multiple purposes. And that's what makes polyester so, uh, so very uh, uh, versatile in a sense. But the world markets are realizing that we are still stuck uh, and it's also being stuck with some of our, uh, our past. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is that if you're looking at the world markets, you're targeting exports, that's probably not a winning strategy. And in terms of the polyester value chain, uh, we've always done well at the raw material front, right? be it natural fiber or for that matter, we have capacities for uh, even polyester staple fiber. The main problem comes when you go down the value chain. And if I just talk about synthetic fibers, which is the uh, main uh, thrust of our paper, the problem with synthetic fibers is that although you have concentration, high productivity at um, uh, the uh, production of the staple fiber level, uh, things become very, uh, uh, well, the productivities are low and uh, production is uh, fairly dispersed um, and not very efficient once you come down to the weaving and processing part. And that's where we actually lose a lot of competitiveness. Right? And that sort of flows down into downstream industries like apparel. Right? And apparel is low value added and margins are very, very tight. And to compete in the global markets, you, you're jostling over very, very tiny margins. And every bit of the cost adds up in making you uncompetitive in the world markets. And so the inefficiencies first that probably start upstream are magnified by the time they come into the apparel sector. And the apparel sector has been that one, one key uh, industry which has been... Uh, which has uh, led to a lot of uh, employment generation through most of the newly developed economies. And we've actually missed out on So two um, follow-up questions on this. I want to pose these questions to Abhishek. And Naveen, please feel free to add on to this. Why is India an outlier when it comes to man-made fibers? So, I mean, as you said, all over the world, it's basically man-made fibers that have taken over in terms of the uh, production of uh, apparel and textiles, while India continues to still have dominance of cotton. The other is why is in the downstream, I mean, manufacturing of apparel and textiles in India so fragmented? Why has, has, hasn't large-scale, you know, <laughs> factories and firms come up in, in that? What, what would be, I mean, your explanation, if at all, do you have an explanation for these phenomena? I mean, great question, Suresh. I wish we had complete answer. Uh, we would have solved the problem. But, you know, based on our understanding, we'll just try and answer your question to the best of our ability. So, uh, you know, as Naveen already mentioned, so, you know, we are cotton kind of dominated because we 
are you know maybe one of the largest producers of cotton so a lot of our policies to begin with even after independence was kind of favoring cotton uh, dominance and even when kind of polyester took off our policies were still kind of tailor made for uh, was kind of you know benefiting the cotton sector and not really the polyester sector uh, it was changed maybe much later in the late 2000s we came up with new textile fiber policies where we start realizing we started to realize that polyester where the most of the global demand is going to come up so if you look at the global market for example you know i mean maybe in the 1950s 1960s almost 80% was cotton and you know india was was doing well because we were also cotton dominated in 1970s 80s onward that starts to change and by the end of around 1990s almost 70% is uh, man made and only maybe 30% cotton but india continued with co- uh, cotton maybe because of you know a past uh, there was already a lot of policies benefiting uh, the cotton sector and maybe the political economy did not kind of allow us to take a break from what we had been pursuing because there were a lot of small players so the whole you know political economy of vote bank and what not comes into play so we continued with our policy however i would still like to highlight although we were not as good as the global you know competitors when it came to you know shifting to uh, man made we still realized that in the late 1990s some policy changes 2000 some major policy changes which kind of favored maybe uh, the man made sector and we started to grow uh, and in fact uh, right maybe in the 2010s a share kind of grows from maybe only 20% man made to almost 40-45% man made so of course india was realizing what the global trend is and we wanted to be part of that global trend however as we, you know we'll discuss it later but you know whatever the policy changes that happened in the 2010s because of which uh, it really impacted our kind of uh, uh, global competitiveness when it came to man made sector so again we have gone back to our post trend so our kind of share of man made has again declined from maybe around 40% back to where we were uh, in the mid 1990s and again cotton is being more and more dominant over time so you know historical reasons post 1950s there was no polyester at that time and india was a rich producer of cotton so we continued with kind of you know uh, uh, safeguarding our cotton sector a lot of policies we could never kind of break away from that because of the whole political economy some changes in later years uh, so we started progressing but again in the mid 2005 2010 again we go back in terms of policy reversal which we will discuss later so we are again back to square one where again uh, our competitiveness in management has really declined a lot just to add to that i think most of this stems from uh, the concern about uh, textiles and apparel stems from our general performance of manufacturing and we've always uh, counted in the louisian framework to figure out well what is a, what is the uh, uh, the labor oriented way to develop a uh, develop in a sense we are talking about a large pool of labor sitting in agriculture how do we move them out of agriculture and increase productivity overall in the economy and i think uh, missing links are labor intensive industries in manufacturing which for some reason haven't worked uh, well in india and textile and apparel being the prime target and we wondering like we have been historical superpowers there what went wrong and what precisely went wrong was policy 
And I think if you talk about dark phases for uh, the Indian manufacturing sector, I would call the 70s the dark phase for Indian manufacturing sector. Same for textile textile policy. For As Abhishek was saying, we had uh, a textile policy which uh, completely neglected polyester for a large part up to 1985. For that matter, there are discussions, there are uh, there are pieces in EPW where industry leaders of polyester are saying are worried about polyester being banned altogether and synthetic fibers being banned altogether in India. Now that that was a time when synthetic fibers were taking. Um, I mean, well, uh, those were the initial years of growth in synthetic fiber production, and then you have uncertainty at that point, which automatically puts us at a back. So policy was clear, uh, was uh, very uh, critical at that, uh, critical, and that sort of uh, uh, dragged us down. And that was also the time when most of the fragmentation in most industries came. So textile and apparel is no exception. All our industries are fragmented, and fragmentation is a phenomenon that came with the small scale, uh, uh, small scale industry reservation policy. And what happened was the more efficient uh, producers, which would have been um, uh, uh, which would have been these mills, uh, were completely disseminated. Uh, well, they were completely destroyed in the 1970s and the 80s. And what led to is uh, the power loom sector, which grew on the protection that hand looms had, and they pretty much took over the entire market. And that is the source of fragmentation in the textile. Uh, sector. And all of that can be traced back to the 70s. And we haven't been able to grow out of that. Right. Now, this is an interesting story because there is, if you were to tell a big history of these sectors, we had centuries of dominance, you know, like we read in memoirs about how uh, fine Indian fabric used to travel to West and, you know, in exchange for precious metal and other things because it was so, uh, so valuable. But then you see a period of some decline during the colonial era. Then again, uh, some recovery uh, once the East India Company uh, is kind of replaced by the crown. And some degree of industrialization happens, some modern technologies are introduced. And when India becomes independent, uh, independent about 11% of world trade in these products is, um, I mean, India's share. Um, but then the decline starts, as you, as you uh, rightly mentioned. Uh, it, it goes on for a few decades, arguably for three and a half decades or so. But then there's a recovery, right? Uh, you've shown in the paper also that there's a significant recovery in, uh, in terms of real GVA as well as our share in the world trade. So can you describe to us uh, what, what that uh, re- recovery of period was and what did we achieve during that before we come to the last one decade, which is basically the primary focus of the period? I mean, uh, um, uh, Naveen, if you want to take that. So I think one of the key reasons for uh, the growth, I mean, the growth in the uh, man-made or the synthetic uh, textiles was also I mean, it, it, there was reasonable growth in the 90s and uh, the 2000s. And I think there was a fair amount of role that our trade policy had. I think we went from a high uh, tariff regime to a low tariff regime and all through uh, the 2000s, uh, early uh, to, uh, first decade of um, uh, 
between 2000 and 2010, we had a relatively uh, low tariff uh, regime. And I think that was the period where the global economy was also doing well. And with that, uh, our, uh, the, uh, the markets opening up, textile being uh, de- sorry, uh, apparel being de-reserved, we see growth in both textile and the apparel sector. But And this continued till about uh, uh, 2014 um, to 18, uh, was relatively, uh, uh, well, a freer trade regime. And I think our, our um, textile and apparel sector benefited from that. Um, but things started going south uh, for polyester at least uh, in 2014 where uh, you had anti-dumping duties being imposed on uh, fiber intermediates and that's particularly PTA. Right? Anti-dumping duty on PTA was, isn't new. Right, we had anti-dumping cases going on in 1998, then 2000, and that is understandable because one can think of that being an infant industry at that time, right? And if we follow uh, Frederick List, I don't think any industry in a global economy can grow without some protection, right? And uh, all of the developed world has done that, and we shouldn't be told to do otherwise. But the problem is that that was in 2000, right? And most of these anti-dumping duties were uh, not for a very prolonged period. These were uh, usually for very short durations. Didn't continue forever because anti-dumping duties are renewed every six months. They are reviewed every six months. But in 2014, uh, the anti-dumping duty that was introduced on PTA, when PTA we when to begin with, we are dependent on world imports for PTA. Uh, we, we don't produce all the PTA that we require domestically. You have an anti-dumping duty being imposed and that going on till 2000, uh, 2020. It, close to six years of um, anti-dumping duties and then there is a tariff hike uh, in 2018. Now, both of them combined led to um well all of the fiber intermediates becoming extremely expensive right and probably one of the few people who could have benefited from that are integrated poly uh, uh, integrated polyester manufacturers like reliance who have their base in hydrocarbons they produce their pta uh, they produce uh, monoethylene glycol uh, which again is an intermediate they produce all of that then that goes into, they're also polyester staple fiber producers. And now one of the largest integrated polyester staple fibers in the world. Right? So they benefited for sure. But, uh, but producers like Indorama or for that matter, Bombay Dying, who depended on, uh, uh, on uh, the markets for providing fiber intermediates, they suffer. And all of that led to uh, and one has to also remember that this was also a time when uh, petroleum prices were falling. So in net, what happened is, and we showed this in the paper, that compared to the rest of the world, much less of that decline in um, crude oil prices was transferred to the producers because of the anti-dumping duties. Right? And in 2018, that becomes a whole lot more worse with the tariff hike. 
Right. Abhishek, if I can just pull you into this as well. From a policy-making perspective, obviously, people, economists disagree a lot on the infant industry argument and in what context that argument works, what context it should be converted into policy, what should be the precise contours of the protection that is given to infant industry and all. But by most measures, by 2014, these were not infant industries. I mean, especially the people who are producing PTA, polyester were not, I mean, I wouldn't argue that they were infant industries. Look at the production scale and their share in world trade and all of that. But still the decision was taken. So have you had a chance to consider what was the rationale given when the petitions were filed to impose these duties and the petitions were accepted and the duty was imposed? What was the rationale that was offered at that time? Yeah. Also just linking it with the question that you asked earlier and then how maybe the two things kind of correlate. So, you know, there was a period of growth. India was doing pretty well, both cotton as well as man-made. And it starts in the late 90s when we kind of really reduced our tariff rate. So we went to a regime where we, up till about maybe 2015, 2016, we were continuously declining. Uh, We were on a spree to kind of cut down or rationalizing our tariff rates. At the same time, of course, the global economy, especially the mid-2005, Till about maybe 2011, 12, there was a hyper globalization. So we kind of benefited from both the policies. Now, the rational as you know, what really happened is that there's a big player when it comes to, uh, you know, the key intermediary, which goes into uh, polyester making, which is PTA. And it basically is a byproduct of petrochemical, you know, you refine and you get it. And, and there are very, few, as you know, there are very few players in India who are in you know refinery business. Uh, so the infant industry, as you said, you know, it still makes sense if there is you know a lot of small players, uh, big domestic market, and you would want to kind of promote competition, whatnot. That was not the case when it came to PTA. For some reason, for which we have not answered to, and we have tried a lot. Basically, starting from around two thousand eleven. Uh, Reliance, which is the biggest producer of PTA, it faces some issue and there's a huge decline in the production of PTA. We have tried a lot what potentially could be a reason, but we don't have a sufficient answer. So that's when kind of, you know, because textile is so dependent on PTA, PTA alone accounts for 70% of the overall input that goes into uh, polyester making. Uh, so, So there was a huge surge in import and we started importing a lot. Uh, and that's when the lobbying kind of started. Uh, you know, this PTA manufacturer, they came together, they started petitioning uh, that how there is cheap import available from some other countries and it is kind of killing their business. Now, if you look at the ruling, I mean, uh, at least what is publicly available, of course, I'm sure there's a lot of back and forth consideration, whatnot. We don't have answer to all the detail. Uh, of the rational why finally, you know, whatever the lobby was there and they asked for it and it was approved. But this was the key thing that, okay, uh, you know, the cost of production is higher, but then these countries are kind of uh, importing it at as low, the usual kind of anti-dumping argument that goes into, which is not true. Because, you know, the low prices that we see at which we were importing, that was not something sudden that started happening only in 2011. Those prices were always there. 
Uh, and if, at least for me and Naveen, you know, just based on the facts which are available on the public domain, it doesn't make sense that why would you approve? And, you know, it's something also very interesting for us because it picks out countries that, okay, if you are importing from this particular company in South Korea, this particular company in Thailand, uh, then, you know, anti-dumping. And these companies alone accounted for more than around 90% of the import that came from these countries and these particular companies. And later, China was added. From China, you know, uh, we do not import a lot. The key countries are basically South Korea, and Thailand from where we import bulk of the countries. So also there's a pattern in how we are kind of picking countries and which companies are being picked for imposing import tariff. Uh, all these details, as you know, usually are not available publicly. I'm sure there was some rational behind it, but based on whatever is available, we don't understand it. Uh, so, so basically- who, who takes a decision? Uh, I mean, just for my knowledge, who issues the order on this? Which authority? So it's the Director General of Trade Remedies. Um, they invest, so typically, um, uh, interested parties will file a, uh, file an application for a, uh, anti-dumping duty. And then there is very, uh, rigorous investigation that, uh, goes in. And then, and usually I think about six months to one year, typically decisions are made. Uh, and what is also interesting is just to add on to what Abhishek was saying, uh, the anti-dumping duty on PTA was at the turn of this of the last political regime in 2014, just at the turn of that. And there is a sense of hurriedness with which that anti-dumping duty was imposed. Is it a reasoned order that they issue? Like, do they explain the investigation? Do they give the economic rationale for it properly? Or is it just a one-page order? They provide all economic rationale, which doesn't quite... Add up adequately. Yeah, I mean, just thinking from you know pure trade perspective. I mean, you you, you are in an industry dealing with an industry where there is a monopolistic competition. There are very few kind of you know uh, players, and there's a huge market concentration. Maybe these two three companies alone account for 70-80% of the overall production. So, I mean, tariff protection in an industry where you basically have a monopolistic competition. It, it doesn't make sense. Basically, what, what will happen is that even if you kind of, even if your argument is that we want to provide tariff protection so that our industries can grow, uh, there is, you know, a small place coming up. That is not going to happen in a, in a, in a market like PTA where there's a huge market concentration. Basically, what will end up happening is that small players, they take advantage of it and the market concentration will kind of keep uh, will keep increasing. So that's why intuitively, uh, to us, it doesn't make sense. There is not enough, at least in the public domain, that, you know, the ruling that is there, apart from the standard anti-dumping that, you know, you are violating anti-dumping because uh, these companies are kind of uh, uh, importing these products at a rate which is maybe cheaper than what maybe the cost of production may be. But there, uh, I mean, I, I don't see there is enough evidence to back that up. Uh, these companies, at the PTA globally, they were, you know, kind of... Uh, exporting to other players, other countries as well at almost the same prices. India was not an outlier in that sense. Uh, so it would be interesting for me to kind of maybe, you know, if we can get hold of the detailed ruling, what really went in, you know, behind the decision making. And also it was only for six months to begin with. Uh, it was, it went on for six years. 
uh, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, and as I told you that, you know, other countries took benefit of it. You know, this was the time where maybe we're still market leader. I mean, after China doing better than Bangladesh and Vietnam, but post that there is a reversal, uh, man-made, we start losing market share. Uh, first stagnation and then we start losing market share. So it, it had, uh, I mean, yes, one can argue that, you know, you can't just uh, say that just one policy is responsible for all of it. You know, people will say that, okay, land reform or labor reform, those are the things. But those are constants, right? Throughout last 30 years, 40 years, labor reform being rigid, there's no change or land reform or power tariff being high. They were always there. There's one variable change, which is this particular uh, uh, you know, yeah, to explain something that is changing, you have to see something that has, has changed. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, when we come up across these kind of decisions, sometimes we euphemistically say that the causes are not economic but political economic. <laughs> so, so that that broad <laughs> phrase we just use to explain what's going on, but it's still worth understanding the reasoning that was at least offered publicly because they're public institutions and they're supposed to explain their decisions. There was a fair amount of kickback uh, by um, the polyester producers, uh, Indorama being very vocal about it, and Bombay Dying was the other major. You mean pushback? If you say kickback, <laughs> then you have to <laughs> back it with evidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a major pushback uh, from uh, the polyester producers who were on the receiving end of the uh, anti dumping duty. And it's interesting that it, it leads to second order problems because in 2017, these producers also applied for anti-dumping duty on polyester staple fiber, which was obviously rejected in 2019, in, uh, sorry, in 2018, beginning of 2018, it was, uh, that case was disposed. But you see what is happening, right? So you have big producers and all of synthetic uh uh, a staple fiber production is extremely concentrated. Right? And any protection there is not going to increase competition. And that's standard basic economics. It's not going to increase competition. It's just going to make those markets very concentrated. And that we actually see from, from data. When we, use, when we calculate concentration indices, we calculate uh, the Hirschman-Herfindahl index for the uh, polyester sta uh, staple fiber production in India from 2014 to 19, we see an increase in concentration. Yeah, I mean, a huge increase. You showed 0. 0.4 to 0. 0.9 is the HSI. <laughs> That's a, almost, it's now basically a couple of companies. One has to realize that this market is already concentrated. 0. 0.25 is uh, the threshold for high con highly concentrated market a market which is already concentrated which becomes all the more concentrated right and think about this you have these large producers upstream right be it uh, staple fiber production or for that matter uh, a PTA production or staple fiber production but as you move downstream the market is fragmented right and fragmentation also will this is part of a our old policy overhangs um, that we have, that, that defragmented market is responsible for a large number of livelihoods and is um, a fairly large employment generating sector. 
Now, the interest of that sector is being put at stake for the interest of a couple of industries which probably don't need that much protection. So then what happened once this anti-dripping duty is imposed in 2014 and then tariff is increased in 2018, what is the, the decline in real GVA as, and in India's share in world trade? Just for basic information for people who have not read the paper. Yeah, so, you know, in 2013 is when, uh, in, in October, there's a huge anti-dumping which is imposed on PTA. And so what you would see is that first, I mean, it, it doesn't impact maybe uh, much because firms could import uh, polyester, at least the apparel ones, if, if you come to apparel now. Uh, you know, they could, imp- uh, they could import polyester and they, it didn't impact them much. So the apparel, at least the apparel sector, they, it continued to grow, although it was imposed till about 20 uh, 15, 16, maybe two, yeah, two, till 2017. There's some impact, of course, of you know global economy coming down, so export because of that. But otherwise, it was doing pretty well relative to other countries. And we were gaining market share. Uh, I, 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 I don't have the numbers at the top of my head. Maybe I can just quickly check it. But yeah, I mean, we were still gaining. So what then happens is in 18, when the government decides what they call, you know, uh, Atmanirbhar Bharat or you know self protection. So 2018 is the year when PTA hike is also followed by a huge hike in polyester. It used to be around I think seven and a half percent the import tariff. It goes up to around twenty percent. So that's a huge hike, and that's when you would see is that I, uh, apparel sector it starts declining. And uh, since then, not just market share, but even the absolute productivity has kind of declined by around maybe there's a five to seven percentage points uh, decline in the uh, uh, productivity and maybe around two, two and a half percentage point in the global market share in apparel. And this it is especially important because it all this is happening when China is vacating this space, you know. China is moving up the ladder, wages are going up. So, I mean, it can't really be competitive when it comes to textile or apparel or, or other labor intensive products. And you must have seen this famous chart, which recently was there in the Financial Times, that how China is losing market share. And we would have been actually, if not maybe for this policy, we would have kind of gained uh, and we would have captured some of the market uh, share. But that did not happen. And all of that has gone to Vietnam and Bangladesh. Uh, in fact, even countries like Germany, you know, much richer than us, the niche product, you know, you know high uh, within uh, textile which have, or, or apparel, you know, high uh, uh, productivity value uh, products, they have gained market share and we have not been able to. And this is a very important question because even going forward, this trend is going to continue if no reversal happens now, because China is again will vacate space in labor intensive. Uh, it it will move up capital intensive and whatnot it will continue to do well, but not in labor intensive. And we we do not see any sign as of now if we have been able to kind of benefit from whatever space China is vacating. So this is something a matter of concern. But I'll give some credit to government here. I I think there is a realization that okay this is happening. We already see some reversal. For example, the PTA, whatever, for six years, six and a half years, you know, 
it kept on being extended finally government decided not to do it in the latest budget there is lot of tariff cuts uh especially on polyester they have again go- gone back from 20% i don't know the exact number where it stands now but there is a substantial cut in tariff rate high percentage yeah so it it has come down now i don't understand like how all of a sudden just in say 3 years no 28 2018 there's a sudden reversal what we had been following post 1990s till about 2018 and the government realizes that okay we need to whatever protect our industry and you reestate and within 2 to 3 years you are going back on what you had done you are basically undoing what you did in 2018 so i mean um, after the damage is done i guess <laughs> yeah but but at least there is some some learning some learning is happening that's a good thing it says yeah but 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 at least they are doing it yeah now if you want to add something else. yeah just to add to this i think uh, i'm not patently against uh, tariff protection but uh, tariff protection needs to be sensible you cannot have tariff tariff protection across the board and then sort of hope everything to work out really well and i think in 2018 we got the tariff protection um, wrong in terms of having that inverted duty structure where all the inputs were very very heavily had very high import uh, duties and i think what seen now is that's a reversal of that uh, you still have high tariffs for uh, uh, final goods like uh, uh, woven fabric but for uh, pta uh, staple fiber filament yarn and all the uh, intermediates you see a decline in um, in uh, the tariff structure now uh, while we were uh, uh, in the initial uh, years of 2000s when our uh, tariff structure was being uh, our, came down quite drastically we were still around 7.5 10% i think around 10% uh, while all our competitors were at 5% right so now the reversal that we see is going back to a very low tariff regime for all intermediates so that uh, well um, you can uh, you can have uh, the more defragment the more fragmented uh uh bits of the value chain now uh, benefiting from that and probably we'll see some consolidation and uh, building of capacities but i think we are moving into an entirely different conversation on what should be done uh and I- yeah yeah no first let's understand what happened <laughs> just yeah. for you know because it's good that some of this has been reversed and many people were writing about the inverted duty structure even in 2018 and 2019 and 2020 it took a while for the system to learn and undo that damage to some extent but one finding from the paper that you have highlighted is that the decline in productivity can be explained basically by a decline in productivity of the top firms the most highly productive firms in terms of their productivity why why is that why were those firms disproportionately affected by the, the by by these policy decisions yeah maybe i can start and then navin can uh, jump in so and that's where i mean this is a great insight also into why we need to allow these firms to import at a competitive price because the if you are able to import at competitive prices you're also more competitive in the ex- uh, uh, external market now what happens when you raise the tariff rates i mean these are the companies the you know the most productive ones who are relatively uh, at a receiving 
the reason being, uh, if you look at the data, these companies who are more competitive, who export more, they also import more. Uh, and because of whatever reason, you know, they're bigger in size, they can also kind of import at a cheaper rate. Uh, it makes sense for them to rather than procure locally, which is maybe not of high quality or maybe the price is high, they would rather kind of import it from uh, external market. And they are at the receiving end because they have to now pay higher prices. And finally, their productivity declines. They are now no more as competitive as they used to be earlier. And they lose global market because, you know, I mean, standard trade policy is that, you know, I mean, the most productive ones and tend to be larger and they export more. And that's the same thing which is going on here. These are the more productive ones where larger in size, employment size and otherwise as well. And they're also the import share in their overall inputs that were being used was much higher. And their import kind of declines because now, I mean, whether you import or you procure locally, it's all the same because prices kind of are at parity now. And that's why you would see that relatively there is a larger decline in their productivity. In fact, the smaller ones, they are not much affected because earlier also they were kind of procuring locally and they continue to do the same. So their productivity remains uh, not, it, it, it doesn't get affected. It's the, these big ones who were in the exporting business, their productivity gets affected. They lose the market share. And that's what you see in the data as well. That And it's concerning for us because we are kind of putting an additional tax on our most productive firms who should be incentivized to grow. They, they are creating more jobs uh, given the job situation that we have in India, but we are putting an additional tax on them. And because of which uh, we are not able to also maybe create as many jobs as we could have done or we were doing earlier. And our potential is, and you see that all of a sudden they're also in terms of employment size or overall output the, the kind of growth that we're witnessing earlier, it declines once they have to pay these additional taxes on importing these key intermediaries. Well, I, I just want to discuss a little bit about the political economy of these sectors. And I, like I look at some of the sectors, for example, if you look at uh, airports and civil aviation sector, the regulator is, uh, so, so the regulator called Airport Economic Regulatory Authority. It sets tariffs for airports, and the higher the tariff, the better it is for the airports, and the lower the tariff, the better it is for the uh, aviation companies, basically the uh, airlines. And but because both sides are very very powerful, it uh, because there are large corporations and conglomerates on both sides, <laughs> there is some sense of balance when it comes to interest group politics of the regulator. Now. Here, uh, in this, it seems like the downstream uh, manufacturers are significantly fragmented and smaller enterprises. There are a couple of big ones, but even they are not as big as the... And plus, the downstream includes the integrated firms, which actually make the intermediate goods as well as the final, final, final goods. But the upstream, which is basically the fiber, polyester fiber makers, are now even more highly concentrated. They were anyway concentrated when the anti-dumping duty was enforced and now it's more highly concentrated. So these are structural facts as of now. These can change, of course. <laughs> the downstream manufacturers can also grow and there can be consolidation as Naveen was mentioning. It could, it could happen. And then perhaps there will be some more balance in the interest group politics in these sectors. But <laughs> given this, what is the kind of you know public administration 
रिस्पॉन्स डेट पॉलिसी वॉन्ग अभिषेक यू कैन आंसर क्वेश्चन नवीन यू कैन ऑल्सो एड is required to be able to make sound policies in these this kind of sector because it seems like both of you agree that what happened in 2014 uh, was not justified based on economics at least from the from what is available in public but may have been something else that is that is driving it and it can happen again because now even there is greater concentration of power in the upstream sector market power uh, but it should be relevant in tradeables because if it's tradeables then there will be a global competition even if you have some constructed some major dominance in domestic economy but it's a sword that is hanging all the time because again similar arguments can be made and again some such this is maybe not tariff related anti tariff or some non tariff related measures could be taken which could uh, basically disadvantage the downstream manufacturer and, but benefit the upstream kind of fiber manufacturers and pta manufacturers and so on So, uh, how do you think about this as a <laughs> policy wonk and some somebody who's worked in government and has been part part of policy making? Here, I would uh, give two examples. Uh, you know how Bangladesh is maybe dealing with it, and how Vietnam is dealing with it. A- and maybe I I also am working uh, with the government in Tamil Nadu uh, on power reforms there. I, I'll bring an example from there. Uh, they have set up a committee under uh, Dr. Arvind Subramanian. Uh, so some some insights from there speaking to you know, you know all textile industry. Now it's a fact that your you know the problem as we said is starting from PTA where you have huge concentration, and that's not going to change because as I said it's a byproduct of crude oil refinery. You cannot expect uh, too many players there. You know it's so capital intensive. You know it it is always going to be there. uh the market concentration is always going to be there and pta is also not a main product for you know i mean it's just a by product their business is something else you know pta happens to be whatever uh, a by product from which they kind of they sell and make money but for whatever reasons government kind of decided to protect pta rather than maybe you know where they should be even if you have tariff protection those kind of things you should have been thinking about maybe textile or about uh apparel rather than pta now what happens in bangladesh for example they don't even care about textile their thing is that the final product so even for example even polyester or textile is finally an input to uh apparel and they don't have the capacity to build textile sector now uh, so they they kind of just import everything and they just focus on apparel so their tariff policy is in a way is designed in a way where the whole focus is just on the final product which is apparel forget about all the intermediaries and just focus on apparel and they have been successful yes i mean one can argue should you be just so much dependent on one sector their manufacturing overwhelmingly is dependent on apparel very few sectors coming up but setting that aside that's the path that they have chosen that just focus on one sector which is apparel forget about all the intermediaries vietnam does equally good in both textile and uh, apparel so what they have done they have of course uh, made sure that whatever uh, inputs that are needed for uh, textile they are i mean in fact they charge 0% for most of the inputs that go into manufacturing textile so they have a good textile base as well as now they are doing well again for they make sure that that tariff structure is not inverted 
you know, unlike in India. So even if they have finally uh, some tariff rates that goes into manufacturing uh, apparel, but they have made sure that the tariff structure is right. So they have kind of benefited out of it. But this is just the tariff part that what should be done. So the, you know, where you should be maybe imposing tariff, where you should not be imposing tariff. But, but, but tariff is not the, not the only thing which is important. Yes, you can, you know, make some improvement by all of this. The other key things, for example, how much power, uh, how much uh, tariff you have to pay for power, what is the infrastructure in terms of how easy you can move your goods from factory to, uh, uh, you know, industry, the logistical details. And Tamil Nadu is an example there, what really happened uh, and how Tamil Nadu benefited uh, just sheer stroke of luck. So the tariff rates, we know that power, whatever we have to pay in India is pretty high relative to global competitors. Uh, and of course, because, you know, we try to bring the, an element of social justice with everything which is available, every tariff, we kind of said, okay, free for poor, high for others. So even power, what happens that domestic virtually is, you know, I mean, domestic charges are very low, much lesser. Even the richest person would pay maybe 80% of what the cost of production is. But we penalize commercial units and industrial units and set very high tariffs. Now in around 2008, it was true for Tamil Nadu as well. 2008, uh, for some reason, there was a huge power crisis. And uh, basically, the DISCOM was not able to kind of supply the demand that was there. So the government kind of changed the policy altogether and they allowed open access. So, you know, uh, if you are have a, a, a one megawatt and above, I, I don't remember the exact number, but a fairly liberal number, then you can have your captive generation. And, you know, once that uh, constraint was released, there was a huge exit of industrial units who were procuring electricity from uh, the state discom. Then they started generating on their own. And in fact, now 55% of the industrial electricity, which is demanded, it comes from open access market. All of them have exited from uh, the state discount. But it was just sheer luck because government was forced to allow the firms to do it because they were not able to generate enough power. But in, uh, and of course, the manufacturing in Tamil Nadu benefited because of it. Still, I mean, we do not do be- that well in manufacturing, but Tamil Nadu does much better than maybe most of the other states. And one change was this. So this shows how not just import tariff, but even in some of the key things like, uh, you know, power or uh, ports, which where government has to, you know, these are difficult also. These are also difficult things to import. I mean, tariff, you can quickly come up with rules and regulations, but the harder things like, you know, rationalized power rates, politically difficult because you have to then raise higher tariff from domestic consumers. So as you do not have to cross subsidize uh, other segments like industrial and commercial units. Infrastructure government is, yes, putting focus, maybe in future it will yield result. But these are difficult things to do. Uh, Land reform, again, key area, because you have, I mean, the land parcel size on an average is small in India. You set up a firm, you have to deal with too many people in India, too many uh, landowners in India. And there's a very nice paper uh, uh, which kind of quantifies the impact of land reform. Uh, Labor reform, people say, is, you know, big constraint, but because there is this element of you can still hire contractual labor, you know, a lot of that constraint is kind of released and there's new paper coming up which shows that maybe labor is not that big a constraint because you have uh, this option of uh, uh, contractual labor. But then again, land, uh, power, 
infra. These are things really matter a lot. It pushes up your cost of production uh, uh, and power. The T- Tamil Nadu example basically shows us that how you know these things can really matter. But these are also harder things to do. But this is where government should be focusing more and not, not just on tariff part, because, you know, those are easier things to do, maybe politically not that difficult. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, we have to learn our lessons uh, if we want to really kind of reverse some of the things that we have done in the past. We want to make sure that our manufacturing grows. Uh, you have to implement all these things no matter how hard. And, you know, for this government, which came up with a strong mandate, one would have thought that, you know, they could have pursued it given the strong mandate that they had. But, but we don't see some of these critical areas, you know, that much progress. Hopefully things will change and uh, we will see positive steps being taken. Some of the things, things have been done, but a lot more has to be done. And Naveen, if you can just add to this, but focus a little bit more on the trade policy side. And of course, anything else that you want to add in terms of how, how the government should consider in terms of uh, giving a boost to the sectors, but in a manner that is pro-competition and allowing for you know, a free and <laughs> fair kind of a market condition. And uh, I mean, also in addition to that is that you said that some of the uh, inverted duty issues have been kind of reversed in the last couple of years, but is the current duty structure more or less in line with what you would recommend? Okay. Uh, thanks, Suresh, for that question. Now, uh, I think uh, we definitely did get uh, the tariff policy and our trade policies uh, wrong uh, roughly around um, 2018. That it was horribly wrong, uh, and I think that that was counterproductive. And as Abhishek pointed out, we see our competitors zooming past us, especially in the apparel sector. Well, they had zoomed past us in textile uh, much earlier, but in apparel, we see that happening um, all through. Uh, the last decade. Now, uh, what's important to note here is that there have been a lot of corrective measures. Now, for example, after the PTA anti-dumping duty was revoked in uh, 2020, uh, in 2022, um, another anti-dumping duty uh, case was ongoing on MEG, that is monoethylene glycol, which is another key intermediate and which is about 20% of input used for polyester staple fiber. But that was uh, that was struck down, right? And um, at the same time, we also see that now there is ongoing investigation on, I think, polyester yarn. Uh, there, there's a demand for uh, anti-dumping duty on that. But I think the mandate had shift, has shifted and the damage done by inverted duty structures is very clear. Uh, and I think that has been corrected. Uh, as on uh, 5th of May 2022, uh, we see that inverted duty structure not being there anymore. And for inputs, it's uh, reasonably low. And the larger question is that the damage has been done. And international markets are not open markets where uh, uh, Changes in domestic policies can very quickly translate into higher exports. There is, uh, we have to negotiate with uh, global value chains. And we've been traditionally fairly weak on that. And whether the damage can be reversed now is a larger question. And I think it'll have to be 
policies, as uh, Abhishek rightly said, will have to go way beyond just tariff policies. We'll have to uh, go to the larger structural issues that uh, the manufacturing sector has faced. And I, and I think a lot depends upon what the policy focus is. Now, getting to probably 25% of uh, manufacturing GDP can be achieved by multiple routes. One can be uh, just get larger businesses to join in. And then you have high growth in those businesses uh, because they have the uh, the ways and means to be uh, to adopt the best of technologies from across the world. Or you can think of the harder thing to do, which is a more equitable and non-trickle-down sort of a route of achieving that um, that 25% of manufacturing sector growth, which may not be very easy and will require very, very active participation of the government in terms of supporting uh, the defragmented, uh, very, very, sorry, I say defragmented, what I mean is fragmented uh, value chain in processing and weaving. And that will that'll also require a lot of technology transfer to happen, uh, cluster-based policies to um, uh, to um, build economies of scale so that we can we can at least on the productivity side get things right and uh, work on figuring out how we can uh, uh, get be- better penetration into the global value chains, which is another major issue and a cause of why we probably uh, aren't doing as well as our competitors. I mean, if I can just add a couple of points here, I mean, we, we missed one important point here, which is, yes, you know, some of these tariff reversals have happened, which is good. But the level still, I, I, I would say that maybe, you know, it can come down further. But one problem is that for whatever reason, we believe that, you know, we have a huge domestic market, so we don't really need to cater to the world market. Uh, which is because maybe, you know, our population size, but, you know, the papers which show, especially there's a recent paper by Somitro uh, 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 Chatterjee uh, from Penn State, where they show that the, I mean, the domestic market may be as big in terms of population, but number of people who have the purchasing power to kind of consume some of these goods is fairly low. Maybe 15% of, of the population can actually be classified as, you know, middle income and above who can maybe buy Indian, some of these products. So, I mean, this thinking, which maybe the government has, and that's also the push behind self-reliant or Atmanirvar Bharat is that our domestic base itself is strong, which needs to change. And that was the reason why we did not maybe pursued signing free trade agreements. Some of the key trade agreements, we kind of backed out. We did not join the bandwagon. And that's important. Yes, now, you know, some some progress there with UAE, maybe we have signed, but maybe... uh, labor intensive and maybe textile UAE, you will not going to you are not going to benefit much but these kind of things have to be pursued this thing of that self-reliant just cater to domestic market that needs to change and for that it's important that we continue to sign free trade agreements like we backed out from rcep uh, i think we should have been part of that uh, we are losing out on the global market so apart from just the tariff rates, we also have to kind of capture this global market, which other countries like Bangladesh uh, and Vietnam, they have signed free trade agreements with other countries. And that's also one of the reasons why they have been able to capture market. The second thing is this PLI, which they have, uh, you know, 
one thing is we can argue whether good or bad but for now if we assume that okay it is good most of it goes to capital intensive sectors almost around 85 to 90% of the outlays for capital intensive sectors and in capital intensive sectors you know we have actually been doing better since independence you know as paper again the somstrup uh, charity paper shows post independence when it comes to capital intensive exports 1995 till date india is the third largest uh, we always feel that okay india doesn't do well when it comes to manufacturing but actually there is a clear distinction between capital intensive and uh, labor intensive in capital intensive we have done pretty well since 1995 uh, till to date we would rank as the third uh, highest exporters in terms of growth rates uh, but pli again focuses only on uh, you know mostly on capital intensive not much focus on uh, maybe labor intensive so a pli the structure should be such that it kind of maybe this some outlay uh, much more outlay for uh, labor intensive sectors like textile and b uh, this thing that okay just domestic market uh, size is big enough i think that needs to change and we have to pursue signing free trade agreements because other countries are especially our competitors bangladesh and vietnam they have been doing and they have been capturing newer and newer market uh, and india should also do that we missed out on maybe rcep but that should not be the case going forward maybe you know we have it with uae right now but this is not something where textile would benefit or apparel would benefit a lot but we need to continue to sign with other countries as well thank you abhishek thank you ravin uh, sorry i just wanted to add one one uh, a bit of insight now when we talk about uh, the value chain one has to f- figure out where is it that you want to expand the market and what probably is in line with the larger mandate of what you uh, expect that in that industry to deliver to you uh for example uh, i think all through uh, um, right prior to uh, 2020 i think the problem was that there were too many voices even within uh, the value chain and it wasn't clear who is the uh, i mean where is the policy focus is it on final goods or is it on intermediate goods and that in uh, the inverted duty structure precisely uh, uh, reflects that but i think there is clearer understanding that value addition and we we are very uniquely placed compared to most other countries we have the entire value chain domestically and that's rare right and i think the political mandate on whether it's intermediate inputs that we want to cater to the rest of the world or whether it's uh the final good that we want to cater to the rest of the world is a key policy decision that needs to be made and i think it's somewhat clear now that we are focusing on the end product on the final goods and i think that's a uh, a good move and i think um, that's at least part of the problem solved that you're clear on where you want to uh, push policies and i think the employment issue is still a very large looming problem uh and the jobless growth that we faced is still uh, it, it's it's um something that's of great worry and i think policy should be focused there rather than focusing on uh capital intensive sides of the value chain uh, the labor intensive sides need to be um uh, focused on now and i think that should be the broader goal as we 
decide on policies because getting that bit clear is probably very very important in deciding a whole host of policies uh, to cater to that mandate. Thank you. Thank you for those comments. I mean, uh, thank you, Abhishek and uh, Naveen for first writing the paper, this very important paper, and secondly, for joining me to discuss this paper so that we can understand where you're coming from and what are the broader implications of the arguments that you make in the paper. Uh, I think it's a, a good paper that actually highlights the important to understand the difference between the theory and practice of economic policies. Sometimes economics would suggest a certain course of action, but the political economy would lead the policymakers in a different direction. That's why it's important for government to, I mean, we as citizens to ask that the government reason its decisions, explain its decisions in detail, give the rationale for the decisions, study the impact of the decisions on an ongoing basis so that course corrections can be make, made, you know, uh, at, at the right time. And often what we see in India in terms of uh, whether it's a broader developmental objective or specific objective like increasing production and manufacturing in India is that we see decisions, but we don't see the rationale behind the decisions. So an open dialogue cannot happen about it. So in March 2020, they launched PLI schemes for three sectors. And then in November, they added 10 more sectors in just one go, you know, 10 more product groups. It was not clear what was the thinking that, that went into those 10 product groups, what was the rationale, what what is the kind of analysis that has gone into it. So then people can argue and debate and have a discussion. So that kind of a system lends itself to a greater deviation from theory to practice. You know? And similar perhaps argument can be made about the anti-dumping duty that we discussed today. And in various sectors, we are seeing concentration of uh, market power, HHI index, index has been rising in various sectors. And there are things that are going on which are not so obvious uh, in terms of their economic rationale and the impact that is happening on the economy. And papers like these, I think, are very important to shed light and then kind of uh, suggest better course, course of action. And I think this is an important contribution. And I, I would recommend all the listeners to please go and read this paper. The link to the paper will be provided along with the podcast on the, on the show, on the, on the page of this podcast episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Abhishek, and thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much. We'll be back soon with a new episode. To make sure you don't miss it, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about our research and team, you can visit us at carnegieindia.org. You can also find us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. See you next time.